Usually we start the show with a soundbite from our guest, but I wanted to start this episode with a bit of reflection. This story of Dave Dahl is a very emotional one, one that focuses on crime, drugs, depression, mental illness, and even thoughts of suicide. The life that Dave Dahl lived in his younger years, so many others out there can relate to that might be struggling with those same issues. And although there's a stigma, we have to be reminded that it can affect anyone. So if you know someone struggling, reach out. Tell them you care and that there is hope. Listen. Be their friend. Sometimes that's all they need. Dave Dahl has been through all of it, and it's that that made him who he is today. But what I love about his story is the fact that it's about turning your life around and working through those struggles to live a meaningful life. He once was quoted as saying, It's totally not about me anymore. It's about we. It's about making a difference in the world. If you struggle with life at times and you're listening, I want you to remember his story when you have those moments. That there is hope. Never give up. You matter. Your life is just as meaningful. Now on to the show. If we come out right away and we're competing with the big guys on their own, in their own game, we're not going to win. So it was all about how do you create something that is better and requires, uh, it would require the big guys to really rethink this, their operation in order to make it happen. Welcome to the My Famed Explained podcast, a podcast with the people you know and the personal stories behind their fame. I'm your host, Larry Gilbert. On this episode, we talk to a man who has called himself a four-time loser, spent 15 years in prison, and when he got out, he went to work at his family's bakery where he created a commercial crusted bread using organic whole grains and seeds that would become a hit. First at local farmer's markets in Oregon, eventually stores began carrying the brand's products, and within 10 years, it became America's number one organic sliced bread. He would go on to sell the brand to Flower Foods for a reported $275 million. The man I'm talking about is Dave Dahl, founder of Dave's Killer Bread. So how did he end up in prison? How did he create the bread? What's the story behind the name and logo? And what's his life like today? We'll answer all of that and more. So here's my conversation with Dave Dahl and his Killer Bread fame explained. Okay, so you were born in Oregon. At the age of nine, you were already in the bread business, being born into it. Your father, Jim, had a family bakery. So how did that family bakery start? My dad uh, grew up, I guess, always wanting to be a baker. And uh, from the from his teenage years on, and he went to work. Uh, for he, he did all kinds of odd jobs through his 20s and 30s and kind of stumbled around and I believe he was about 32 or so when he started his own bakery, uh, and that was 1955 in Portland. At nine, you went to work for the bakery, working with your dad, but as you got a little bit older, that, that time period of your life, it didn't necessarily go over that well, did it? No, it was it was pretty ugly. It was I, I didn't feel good about it. it was, I didn't feel good about myself and, and working as a baker and I just wanted to find something that, you know, I wanted to be something else, somebody else. And I didn't get along with my dad and, you know, 
So in, in 1987, you ended up in jail uh, for the first time. And after jail, you rejoined the bakery in 89 and uh, alongside your brother, Glenn. But then you had quit and moved to Massachusetts and ended up in jail again. And as life continued, your troubles with the law occurred back in Oregon in 97, where you were arrested again. So talk about that period in your life when you were in and out of jail. Yeah, uh, between 87 and 90, or and 2005, I was probably, I was incarcerated 15 of those years. All related to, all drug-related offenses. I was drugged, uh, I was, I was, you know, I, I discovered methamphetamine, and uh, I felt like meth was my first transformation. It gave me my first feeling of, it was my, you know, criminality was like my first identity, and it took me a long time to get through that phase. I mean, that that was pretty much your life at, at that point. I mean, that that was it, right? Yeah, I saw myself as a, I always tried to be a better criminal every time I went to prison. You know, it was like I was going to school. Yeah, was it the some of the drugs that fueled then the the crime to be able to acquire the drugs? It was mainly, you know, it was because of the drugs. I didn't, I wasn't in love with doing crime. I I just felt like that was kind of my destiny, and um, I always my intention as I moved along through the criminality stage was to uh, eventually make enough money selling drugs that I could uh, start my own business, the legal business, and then keep, keep getting high, but do it legally, in a sense. So, so during that time frame, then, you had um, the idea to, at some point, turn your life around, start a business, a legit business. It wasn't just, a, hey, how do I get money to you know, get the next high or the, or the next set of drugs? Yeah, uh, my my fourth incarceration, um, I was starting to feel like I was getting, you know, it wasn't working, right? And um, I started, I just had to re-examine my life that obviously the drug, the whole drug deal thing was not working for me. Um, and, you know, I'd never been a good criminal. I just always... I always worked at being better, but I was never good, you know. And uh, you know, it just I just started going. It, I really thought that I was no good at anything until I one day, you know, I was suicidal. I'd been suicidal for a long time, and I was in prison. And I asked for um, I asked for help one day. I, I put a kite in uh, an inmate communication form to. Uh, to the psychiatric psychiatric uh, services, psych mm -hmm. services, yeah. and it was uh, it was a great moment for me. I it was kind of like I laid down my arms and uh, gave up and you know surrendered, as they say in Alcoholics Anonymous and such. And uh, that surrender was the beginning for me. And then I got medication, which helped me uh, with my depression. And my mind was able to start thinking differently, and I I, was, I got into school, and uh, it was computer-aided drafting. It was trade school, which for me was perfect, as it turned out, and I loved it so much that I never looked back from there. Yeah, I mean, that, that really helped you out, and then you ended up teaching a lot of those skills to other prisoners, correct, during that time frame? Yeah, I was a tutor, and I was a project drafter for quite a while. 
Um, and then, and then that would ultimately go on and help you in the in the bread business, learning those skills. Big time uh, on a lot of on a lot of levels because I learned accountability. I learned the value of personal accountability to yourself and to your goals and what you're trying. You know, uh, the people that you work with and um, people you work for. And I, but I also learned design principles in a, in a way that really helped me with uh, design, designing a product and uh, created, and that was, in, you know, you learn those things in drafting, and I was able to take a lot of the same ideas in the way that I thought, uh, in the way that you approach creating something, uh, I used those same, that same mentality to create bread. Um, and you were released from prison in 2004, and your brother Glenn he would have you come back and work at the bakery a third time. So what happened uh, the third time that you joined the bakery, and what did he have you do there? Like, what was your job at the beginning? At first, uh, I went back. You know, I started at 12 bucks an hour working, uh, filling in for other bakers who were off or whatever. And very shortly, I worked my way into a full-time job. And, and my brother and I had been talking about how I would – uh, help reform, reformulate the cookie line that they already had because the cookies need to be updated to a more modern recipe that had no trans fats and various, you know, more a healthier version. Okay. And so that's the first thing that I, that was my first assignment. And um, as I did that, I loved it so much, you know, that I started, uh, I created a couple of, more recipes that I wanted. And I was like, I'm going to keep doing these cookies because I'm loving this. And my brother was like, hey, uh, slow down there, uh, sharpshooter. We got to, let's put you, you know, what do we do well? We do bread. We're bread guys. We're bread guys, you know. And uh, yeah. so, so and we, you know, we just can't, we, we, we both knew, we, as we talked about it, we agreed that, uh, you know, he, he did a lot of guidance because he'd done a lot of some research ahead of time. And he was like, uh, you know, we, what we do well is things that the big guys don't want to tool up for, you know, uh, because we, anything that we're going to make, uh, if we come out right away and we're competing with the big guys on their own, in their own game, we're not going to win. So it was all about how do you create something that is better and, requires uh it would require the big guys to really rethink this their operation in order to make it happen so we were um that's that was the mindset i had when i went to went to do it and i uh i took and i learned to re reverse engineer essentially everything else the good stuff that was out there and i said well you know the, and just like in drafting you have to replicate what's out there and then uh you know, add or subtract or, you know, change aspects of it to make it better. And um, that's what I did. I, I took, the, took the best attributes of the bread and I just made them better. And so that, you know, that requires a, a certain kind of, you know, approach. And it was a scientific method approach where I did a lot of loss testing and a lot of failures, a lot of, a lot of, a lot of my stuff didn't work out, but each, I learned something from everything that I did. And uh, so I 
the killer bread recipes, the beginning of it. Okay. And then once you had the recipe, then it went to testing, right, within the company? And then how did it go from there to, you know, you were selling it at a farmer's well, market, and then it became a kind of a regional hit before a national hit. So what was kind of the progress there? Yeah. <clears throat> well, it was August of 2005, uh, and it was just my nephew and myself to start with, you know, because we didn't have uh you know we we didn't have money to put toward this just our efforts and uh because it, it was it was a separate right. it was a separate part of the uh the bakery right at, at this point entirely yeah Completely. a brand new project on its own and uh it was my brother and my, my nephew and myself we were um you know basically tasked with this and I, you know, we didn't have to put it through the, we, we didn't start putting it right into the company, the regular company uh, process. We just did our own thing. And, you know, it, it included making labels and, you know, create, creating all these things to, to go with it. And slice, we sliced the bread, you know, packaged the bread, uh, took it out to the market, sold it at the farmer's market. And we were, fortunate to get into a a special um a special event called the summer loaf and and it was a artisan bread fair at the portland farmers market and i mean it, the odds the, the likelihood of everything working out the way it did or just you know that's why i kind of believe in something greater than myself you know the higher power somebody guiding this thing because it was too good to be true yeah uh even though there was no money in it for a long time, you knew that you had a good product because people were immediately loving it. So uh, rather than, I mean, this is still very hard, right? So what you do, what I had to do next uh, is we had to figure out ways to get into the stores. And that's very challenging because nobody wants to give up bread space or shelf space. So, we had to prove uh, prove this on a level uh, that would make these guys impressed enough that they would give it a chance. Uh, but our customers in the farmer's market were raving so much, they would go to their own stores, their stores, to, to you know, to put in cards and request them they get in there. They would get the bread in there. Uh, and... I just went around from as, as we would get into a store, and it was very slow at first. It, it, was, it was a very tedious, slow process. But uh, we got into one store, then another store, and then a store chain, small store chain, and so on. It just went, it developed over the say the first year was we got up to where we were selling about six, making and selling about six to ten thousand loaves a week, which wasn't you know wasn't a whole lot. Uh, but for, you know, our little crew and what we were doing, you know, and we, the shelf space, you know, as soon as we started taking people's shelf space, then, you know, you start noticing, people start noticing you and the big guys start noticing that you're, you're encroaching on some of their space and they do everything they can to keep that from happening. Yeah, and then so and then so in 2015, you would eventually sell the brand of flour foods worth approximately 275 million. So, yeah. so when the sale was final, what was going through your head at that point? Was it relief, joy, sadness? 
because this thing that you created was, you know, was essentially no longer yours? It's a good question. Uh, it was very mixed for me. For other people, it was probably relief and joy. <laughs> for me, it was a little bit of relief, joy, but uh, there was also that sadness of losing my baby because this thing had become everything to me. It was my, it was my identity, and um, I loved, I loved the whole process, including, you know, I used to, what I used to do to promote the product was go. People wanted to hear my story, so I just go from one place to the next and speak uh, so up to a few times a day, just telling my story about about how it happened. And uh, that was we had the perfect storm when it comes to you know guerrilla marketing. You had a good story, good product, and you just had to work. I just had to work really hard. When you were running the the business, you hired a lot of ex prisoners, right? And they were hard workers and good people. Um, were, was there any success stories there where a prisoner said, you know, thank you for hiring me and believing in me, and and you know, I've been able to change my life because of it? Oh, so much, yeah. I mean, the rewards of doing that were, are, you know, I can't even, I can't even express because the grat the gratitude that these guys have. The way that they work hard, the way that they start understanding the same principles that I understood about community, about about how you can make a difference uh, in your own life and thereby making a difference in the world. Each of these people is a good example of that. And they're grateful not only to me, but they're grateful to, uh, to just for this opportunity in life. And it shows in what they do. Uh, definitely. I just want to dig a bit deeper uh, into your mind, and I feel it's so important to talk about where mental illness is a stigma, you know, in today's society, and I don't think it should. You had a rough year in 2013, and so, you know, what did you learn from that year, and how would you be able to help other people out that feel those same kind of struggles that, that you have on a daily basis? Yeah, I think that's one of the most powerful parts of the story. Um, you know, when I got out of prison, I... I had such a pure purpose, and there was there was no. It did, I don't think I had a tendency to go off the deep end until I started drinking. And I, I drank uh, in celebration, you know, but eventually, because of the way I am, it, it got out of hand. Yeah, and um, led to, you know, it's, it's a very complicated story, but eventually. Uh, in November of 2013, I had a mental breakdown, and I wasn't by any means inebriated at all, but I'd been, uh, in fact, I'd been trying to quit drinking. So I, I hadn't drank for a few weeks at that time, but at that day, I drank a little bit because of the way my mind was. My mind was just off the hook, and uh, I'd never experienced my mind being so fast racing so fast and not can be able to control it you know yeah uh, and so it finally led to a real to a breakdown that ended up getting me in a lot of trouble um getting in fight you know the cops arrested me and beat the hell out of me and uh it tased me then beat me up and i you know i've I'm kind of used to being beat up by cops. It's not even a big deal. And I'm not a person who goes around blaming cops for my stuff, you know. Yeah. Uh, it's not It's not their, It's not. not the cops' fault. These particular guys were, were brutal and they shouldn't have been. But 
you know, um, I I kind of look at it all as it's I I got to look at my side. That's what I got to look at. So uh, what what I like to tell people, first of all, uh, when you do when you do figure it out in life, when you do find that uh, you don't want to enter, you don't want to add alcohol or drugs to the mix. I mean, you just that if I hadn't done that, I'd probably been okay. And, you know, it's that humility. It's maintaining that sense of humility, gratitude, uh, surrender. That, you know, those, those things are really help, really vital. Uh, acceptance, uh, the hard work, you know, working hard and, and having purpose. Those things were, were all in top gear for years. Um, with Dave's Killer Bread, and then alcohol eventually kind of uh, diluted my mind, you know, compromised my mind. Yeah. And so it was all those things, and there was, of course, there was a lot of stresses that went with that, you know. I mean, I had more, I had the kind of stress that very few people ever experienced. You might experience levels of stress that are similar, but um, not too many people come from prison and have to, you know, get out and they have to fight to make a, you know, they fight and succeed at making a living, making a good living and making a successful product. And then all of the things that come in because of that, all of the, the, uh, the forces that come to play at that point. Uh, and as you're, you're bringing in investors and doing all these things and, you know, you're just this, <laughs> I was just this guy, you know. Yeah. Uh, but it was it was uh, more than I could handle, I guess, and that led to that. But because of my experience having overcome in the past, when I when I put that kite in um, in prison back in 2001, now it was 2013, and I. And, you know, it took me a little while to prove it to myself, but at first, I mean, I, I hit this level of depression that I'd never seen before, where I couldn't move. But when I, but I knew somehow deep inside, there was a seed of hope because I knew that I had done it before. And that's what really what it came down to is that I started you know, I, I got into African art so that it could, uh, it was a way to forget about me. And that was my, you know, that was my distraction. And then eventually, as I worked through it, I finally discovered uh, that I wanted to get back out and start giving back again, because that's what made me feel good. So I, it's all that giving back. Uh, helping others do what I've done. And sometimes, uh, you know, the, the thing about mental illness, um, I've had my moments of psych psychosis in my life. And those that's two times. Once was the November 2013 incident. And the next one was the next year. I was sitting in my backyard on my deck. Uh, and it, it came over me, but I was I, I was able to just sit it out and wait it out and because I knew the situation. I knew that I knew what was up. I'd been there before. Yeah. 
And so it never happened since then. So it was kind of like a, a, a an adjustment time. And that happened for me then. And, you know, as far as depression goes, uh, for me, medication worked. And I talked to people all the time. Uh, they, we have this organization called Dual Diagnosis Anonymous. Mm-hmm. Uh, I recommend looking that, looking that up. And it's like the 12-step program plus three steps for, for mental illness and mental health. And I, I talk to these people all the time, and their stories are amazing. They are just like mine. Uh, they, because of what they go through, they are so grateful to, to have sanity and the ability to, uh, to work on their lives. You know, people aren't aren't mentally ill by definition. I mean, it's not like you know, that guy's mentally ill. That's just the way it is. Right. You know, you have you have moments of mental illness. Um, a person can a person gets them. Some people get them and never will never admit it. My dad was certainly had problems, but he didn't. Uh, he would never admit it because back in those days, nobody did. You know, I think I think being able to admit it and get help is is a key for a lot of people. Yeah, I mean, nothing's really you know changed in those decades. It's just that now it's it's more people are coming out about it and being vocal about it. And there's solutions. There are solutions. You know, at least there was for me, and I've seen you know medication does help a lot of people. It, it helped me, but a lot of it is is first admitting that you have a problem. Uh, what's the story behind the logo and the name, and how did that all come to be? I always wanted my first two varieties of bread. The first one was Blues. second one was Killer Bread. They were the difference between the Blues bread and the Killer Bread is mainly the, the Killer Bread had like a lot of nuts and stuff, and it was, uh, it was different that way. And so it was a super killer. And, uh, but the Blues Bread was actually the first Killer Bread. We just didn't call it that. The name Killer Bread started happening because uh, my brother wanted to call my product Dave's Bread. Uh-huh. And uh, the killer uh, came because I named that one variety Killer Bread. And so people just started saying Dave's Killer Bread, and it, it, it had a ring to it. So yeah. that's what happened. And the logo, my we, we talked to a uh, trademark attorney about the logo, what, about how we're going to, you know, trademark all this. And he was like, well, the first thing you really need is a logo, a, a, a special logo. And as he was talking about it, I it came to my mind. The idea was, was me with my guitar, uh, but, you know, actually a guy sort of looking like me with, his, with a guitar, uh, and uh, he's painted on the wall, and there's, uh, Dave's bread and big letters on his on his left. You're right. Yeah. And and then uh, along along comes somebody with a red spray paint can and tags killer over the top of that. So that was the original idea. I wanted it to to show that way, but as we did the logo, it just never quite came out that way. This is what ended up happening, and uh, yeah, it worked. And so uh, today, like you mentioned earlier, you own an African art gallery in Oregon now, and you also have what you call passion projects. Uh, So what is that all about, and what's life like for you, for Dave Dahl in 2020? 
you know what I said in 2020, the beginning of 2020 was I got my I got myself this rock right that says simplify, and because I do I do too many things, and so um, I'm like, okay, what are the things that really matter? And obviously, I need to work on the art because that's a monster that's not going away. And uh, then I I also I want to play my music, but I have to get a few other things out of the way before I can do that. I want to help other people do what I've done. I think it's crucial for me to continue to help others find their way like I did. And I don't do it like on a one-on-one basis. I do it by creating and, and helping and supporting systems that help others do it. Uh, and so for that, for that purpose, I, I got into, I, I really support this organization called Constructing Hope. And it's constructinghope.org. They, uh, I, I'm really a big supporter of them, and I'm, I'm trying to find ways to scale that up. Where it, what they what they do is they give a six week training program to people. Oftentimes they're uh, minorities, but in general they're people that have been out that, that have been in trouble for the most part, and it teaches them the trades. It's just like uh, I learned my trade was drafting. They, they get to learn constructing trades, and they get out and they have meaningful positions in companies, meaningful uh, apprenticeship opportunities. So this is really exciting to me. It's world-changing stuff. And then um, I have this thing that I just invested in, a company that's uh, not, it's not a nonprofit. It's a for-profit, which I also believe that some stuff should be for-profit. It's, an organ- it's called Nucleos. And if you go to their page, you'll see a video where I'm, I talk about it a little bit. But I'm invested in that company. What they do is they teach, uh, or they don't teach, they provide uh, systems. They provide uh, software and systems that uh, allow a lot more curriculum, any kind of curriculum to be taught in the prison uh, in a secure way where, and a lot easier to uh, to bring the curriculum to the prisoners than has been done in the past. You know, uh, it's all it's all been kind of piecemeal, hit and miss. Now this will be a one system that provides all these different uh, training opportunities. So I'm I'm invested in that. It's a startup, uh, and I do other. I get involved in other things like Defy Ventures. You might look at them too. Defy Ventures. Okay. And then there's one organ, another organization called uh, Bridges to Change, and so it's those four organizations that I feel really provide different aspects of the transformation process. Yeah, wow. So you definitely have your hands full then in uh, in giving back, like you said, and I think that's so important too. It is for me, and I think it is for everybody. You know, once the thing is, once you realize that you can make a difference, I think people want to make a difference, and uh, with me, I didn't have anything to give back for so many years. I, I needed you to give to me, you know? Yeah. That was my mindset. I wasn't giving nothing to nobody. And now that I have something to give back, I get it, you know? You want You really want to make your world a better place. Definitely. And I think you're, you're doing that really well. 
Uh, one last question. Do you ever walk down the uh, the bread aisle at the store and see yourself on the packaging? And what goes through your head? And do you ever pinch yourself and think, wow, I can't believe that this is me and this has been my life? Yeah, well, it, it, it's exactly, you know, in a, in a metaphoric sense, I do pinch myself all the time. Uh, thinking, you know, I'm not, <laughs> I wasn't the guy who could do this when I was young, you know. Uh uh, is somehow all the struggles and all the suffering and mistakes and everything added up to something good and you know it gives you hope for for other people it gives you hope for the world uh and where do you see yourself in 10 years just doing a lot of the same stuff well i think i want to slow down a little bit uh and i think i'm working toward that i'm 57 yeah i think by the time definitely by the time i'm 65 i i will have contributed enough to where I think I'll be able to just, you know, maybe once in a while give a speech or something, but yeah, maybe do a lot more hanging out on the coast, on the beach, you know? <laughs> yeah. I was, I was actually going to ask that. I was going to say, why not just retire and go live on a tropical Island somewhere and, you know, live on the beach the rest of your life where you could. I think, I think to give to, to one who much has been given much is expected. And, uh, I, I feel like I expect a lot from myself, and uh, and I, that's not enough. You know, I have to do something that's making a difference for a while. Yeah, and and I know for me, and I probably see it in you too, is that you just can't sit still. You know, you have to be doing something or contributing. You know, like like even even yeah. if I won the lottery today, I still don't feel like I couldn't work or do nothing. You know, the rest of my life, I right. always feel like I'd have to do something. So, yeah. well, this is what I think. When I'm when I'm by the time I'm sixty five, if not before, I'll. I'll, maybe I'll live on the beach, but I'll be playing my guitar a lot. I'll be, you know, working on be, being a better guitar player, even at that old age. Yeah. It's still going to be a great pleasure to play my guitar, you know. And uh, and then I'm working out. I'm never going to stop working out if I can help it. You know, my body's getting more beat up all the time. But, hey, I, I keep working through it. And, uh, you know, it's it's a lot of fun to, 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 to fight. It, you know, you never quit fighting. Read many stories of your life, and I uh, find what you've done very courageous and and admirable, and uh, and it's a great product too. And and you've done so much with your life, and thank you for giving back and telling your story and being so open about it. I really think it helps a lot of people out there that are struggling or that might find themselves in the same shoes as you. You know that they can learn from it, and so yeah, that makes that keeps a perpetual, you know metaphoric smile on my face well definitely well thank you so much for taking some time to do this interview and I, I appreciate it and best of luck to you and the rest of your life and your career and and all the successes that you have going forward thanks that was dave Dahl of dave's killer bread which you can find today at pretty much every single grocery store across the nation subscribe to my famed explain wherever you get your podcasts and rate and review us on apple podcasts have an idea for a future show? We would love to hear from you. You can email us at myfamedexplained at gmail.com. And don't forget to like us on Facebook and Instagram and follow us on Twitter. Until next time, this is the My Famed Explained podcast at myfamedexplained.com. <laughs>